In today's episode, we're going to talk about one of the most controversial subjects in the world of personal finance. Stay tuned. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where we seek to unravel the mysteries of personal finance. Join us as we help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. This is Solving the Financial Puzzle with certified financial planner, Dan Capril. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I'm your host, Dan Capril, where each and every week we take that which many people see as complex in the world of personal finance and we show you just how simple this game really is. It's really not all that complicated as long as you understand a few basic principles. So I want to welcome you for joining us today. If at any point in time you want to reach out to us, if you have questions that you would like to submit to the show, it's very easy to do that. Uh, first of all, all you need to do is either go to talktodc.com. That's talk to DC, my initials, and you can schedule a call with me and I'll be happy to answer any questions you might have or you're more than welcome to shoot me an email, dan at matsonandcapril.com and we'll be happy to uh, not only answer your question but maybe it'll appear on a future edition of the show. I also want to make all the listeners aware that we do have a weekly e-newsletter that goes out. It's called Your Money Jigsaw and you can get that by going to yourmoneyjigsaw.com. Simply click where uh, it asks you to register put your information in there, and we'll get that out to you every single week. It'll, it'll come out, I think it usually comes out on Friday. So hopefully you'll find that to be very interesting. Uh, we literally scour the internet for financial news that we think is going to be of interest to you. There's also links there to our podcasts as well as our webinar. So check that out as well when you get a chance. Recently, my wife and I made a decision and we, we, we tend to make our decisions a little bit quickly, which you know maybe we shouldn't, although... Uh, a few years ago, I had a good friend of mine pass away, same age as me. And my new motto now, ever since that happened, is someday never comes, which means if you have an opportunity and you really like it, pursue it. As long as you've thought through the steps, you're going to do well. So we, we decided very recently that we were going to sell our house in suburban Cincinnati. We live in the suburb of Loveland. And we had contacted a friend of ours who's a realtor who had assured us that the house would go quickly and we would get a very good price for it compared to what we had previously paid. Now, I bought our house in 08. So as things were crashing, I was quickly underwater. I went and refinanced it a couple of years later and I had to bring more money to the table in order to do that. I'm happy to say it's almost paid off now. So when I heard that there was a demand for four bedroom ranches, as we have, as well as a three car garage, we decided to test the waters and it sold in about three days. In fact, the very first person to look at it made an offer. So we are now in the process of moving to downtown Cincinnati, living in a high rise, which is gonna be very different, obviously. I've never, well, I've lived a little bit in the city in my early 20s, but since we've been married, really nothing like this. And we still have a dog. So it's gonna be a different way of living, but I'm very excited about it. But of course we have to downsize. And when you downsize, you have a great deal of stuff. I don't know about you, we're not hoarders, but you still carry a great deal of stuff. The one thing I wanna point out to you is if you're ever in that position where you're moving and you're not gonna bring a lot of things with you, 
it's a great opportunity to do things for charity. And in fact, it can really, really simplify your move. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're going through what we have, what do we need, what we don't need. Kind of a challenge to part with some things that have some, you know, sentimental value to them even assessing the stuff that your kids had. So our son's all grown up now, but you know, what was his favorite toy? Okay, let's keep that. But do we have to keep every single board game he ever had? Now we probably don't have to do that. So anyway, that's what we're kind of going through. And um, it's an interesting process. I, I never thought I would ever want to move again. And you know, just the process of moving is incredibly, well, I just don't even want to think about it. But I'm looking forward to getting there, and I'm looking forward to urban living and seeing what that is all about. The, the big question, of course, will be whether or not the dog can handle it. So anyway, with that, I wanted to let's start off with our disclaimer. I don't know you. Well, I might know you, but chances are I don't. And so therefore, take this show not as personal advice, but take this show as education. You should only take personal advice from your financial advisor. Now, if you don't have one and you want to talk to me about being a client of ours, happy to talk to you. It's very simple. All you have to do is go to talktodc.com, and that'll set you up where you can just go on there and click on enter a time that you want to talk, and we'll schedule time for you. But otherwise, take this as information only. If you do have advisors, make sure you talk it over with them but I don't know your specific situation. So please, as we go through the program, you know, don't make the mistake of saying, well, Dan says I should do this, therefore. I haven't told you should do anything. Uh, the purpose of this show is to educate you and help you to simplify the financial planning process. And so with that, let's go to the puzzle of the week. In the puzzle of the week segment is where we always talk about what seems to be a rather complex area of personal finance and we simplify it. And this week's puzzle is about what I think has become the most controversial topic within the world of personal finance. It shouldn't be, but it has been, and it's the annuity. There is, if you go on Google and you type in the words annuities are good, you'll get millions and millions of pages, literally. And if you type in annuities are bad, same thing. It seems to be an incredibly divisive topic. Now, it shouldn't be. It's a strategy. Whether or not it's good or not for you, it depends. So what we're going to do in today's segment is we're going to give you a very balanced message about annuities. Now, having said that, as a practice, as a personal financial advisor, I don't recommend them that often to my clients. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that in the situations where I feel an annuity product would be appropriate, many of my clients don't fall into that category. Now, having said that, there are advisors out there who would disagree with me. They'd say, well, no, if you've got somebody who's about to retire, they must have an annuity. So what we're going to do is we're going to first explain what these are, and then we're going to get into whether or not they could be appropriate for you. All right, let's talk about the concept of an annuity. The concept is a rather simple one. You give your money to an insurance company. And because the law allows for it, the insurance company takes your money, they credit you interest, and you pay no tax on that interest until you ask for the money back. Pretty simple, right? Now, when you ask for the money back, we'll determine what the taxation is going to be. So if you're, say, 40, and you give the insurance company money for, say, 10 years, 
and you ask for the money back when you're 50, well, they'll do that. They'll give it back to you and you'll get growth, but you will have to pay taxes on the growth. And because you're not 59 and a half yet, you'll have to pay a 10% tax penalty on the growth. That was done because the encouragement for annuities is you only buy them for retirement age. So the first thing we need to understand is that we do get the advantage of tax deferment. And if you look at the power of compounding interest, the fact that you don't have to give up a piece of the interest every year at Uncle Sam, but you can continue to invest his share, that will allow your account to grow faster. I don't think anybody can dispute that. All right. So I give the money to insurance company, they credit me interest, and later in life, I'm going to pull the money out. Now, when I pull the money out, let's say we gave the insurance company $100,000. They're crediting whatever amount of interest that they're going to credit. Let's say, hypothetically, it grows to $120,000. Fine. We then call the insurance company. We say, all right, I want to cancel this policy. I want you to send me all my money. They will do that. But you now have to pay tax on that $20,000 gain. So it's tax deferred. It is not tax-free. Now, some people will do this under the belief, I guess, that in the future, they will be in a lower tax bracket. So they're not particularly concerned about paying the tax later because they think they'll be in a lower bracket. And of course, the other thing too is they are allowed to keep Uncle Sam's share until they're ready to pull it out for themselves. So if you think about it, if, if after one year of interest, let's say hypothetically you owed Uncle Sam 200 bucks, well, because you don't have to pay it now, you can continue to invest his share and you get to keep a good chunk of the growth on his share. That's really what, what's at play here. So that's a very simple concept. I can't imagine anybody would find that to be a controversial issue. It's not really a whole lot different than IRAs. In fact, you can put money in a traditional IRA and you do not have to deduct it. In fact, some people can't deduct it because of various rules. They either make too much money, they have a pension plan at work, whatever. But they can still put money in a traditional IRA. And when that money grows, they will have to pay tax on the growth. They don't have to pay it on the full balance. They just have to pay it on the growth. So it works the same way. Conceptually, it's basically the same. Where it starts to get a little complicated is, first of all, in how you get your interest. Is your interest going to be declared in advance? In other words, is the insurance company going to say to you, all right, every year you're going to get paid 5% or 3% or 4%, doesn't matter. Are they going to tell you up front how much interest you're going to get every year? Or is that interest going to fluctuate? Is it, well, here's what your first year interest is going to be. But after that, well, we have no idea. We just know that it will never be lower than, say, I don't know, 1% or 2%. There was a time when the guarantees on annuity products was 4 or 5%. Now that's what the best annuities are paying non-guaranteed. That just shows you how far we've come with interest rates going down. So some companies will tell you, all right, look, if you give your money to us for five years, we'll give you 25 3% every year. No questions asked. There's really nothing to concern. At the end of the five years, you can have all your money back and you'll pay the tax on the interest. If you want though, you can keep it with us, but we won't guarantee you what the interest rate will be after the fifth year. Okay, still very simple, very straightforward. But of course, three, 4% is not enough money to get a lot of people excited. 
So what has come out is two other types of annuities. The first one is the variable annuity. And what the variable annuity allows you to do is put the money in mutual funds, stock and bond mutual funds. So you're not gonna get any guarantee from the insurance company as far as your return. They'll just say, look, you put it in a mutual fund, whatever it grows to, you don't have to pay tax on that growth until you pull the money out. Okay, straightforward again, but it's not guaranteed. So in the case of the variable annuity, you could lose money. So conceptually, again, really nothing wrong with that. Again, kind of like the IRA. And unlike the IRA, though, there's no limit as to how much money you can put in the variable annuity. However, this is where, when it comes to variable annuities, that's one of the pros. But let's talk about the cons. And the cons really depend on the individual product. And this is why I get a little bit peeved when I hear all very matter-of-fact statements being made, when in truth, the problem isn't with the annuity concept. The problem is with the individual product. So Ken Fisher, who runs Fisher Investments, he's got a commercial that says, you know, we've never sold annuity, we never will. I'd rather rot in hell before I sell an annuity. All right, understand what Ken Fisher is doing is he's competing against the insurance industry for your money. So this is his marketing message. And it's an effective one for him. He, he probably does pretty well being that way in terms of things that he says. All right, but I, I think Ken Fisher would, would agree that if you could defer the taxes on your investments, that's not a bad thing. So he would certainly be more than willing to put your money in an IRA or something like that. He wouldn't have any problems with that. All right, so the tax deferment's not the issue. The issue gets down to what rate of return am I likely to get given the fact that the insurance company is going to have internal fees. Now, an internal fee is not bad if you know the rate of return you're gonna get. So if the insurance company says to you, we're gonna pay you 3.5% every year for the next five years, well, do you really care what their fees are? Because you know what you're gonna get. Now, if 3.5% is not good enough for you, fine, go look for another product that guarantees a higher rate of return. But however much they're getting paid, I guess I should say, isn't as relevant. However, when you're putting your money in a variable product where you don't know what the rate of return is going to be because you're subjecting yourself to risk, well, the internal fees do matter because without those internal fees, you would obviously get a higher return than with them, right? So if the company says, well, we've got an internal fee structure of 3% and you're putting your money in a Standard & Poor's 500 index fund within the variable annuity, if the S&P grew hypothetically to 10%, well, you're not going to get 10. You're going to get 7. Now, is that bad? Well, obviously, I'd rather not have 7. I'd rather have 10. But I also don't have to pay tax on the growth. So it might be worth it. Now, personally, I think 3% is high. But what I want you to understand here is there is a price for tax deferment. And that price, and this is if done in an annuity, that price in this example is lower returns. So if I'm going to put money in a particular mutual fund and I decide to put it in an annuity and then put it in the mutual fund or invest in the mutual fund directly, I'm probably going to get a lower return from the annuity than the mutual fund directly. On the other hand, I won't have to pay tax right away 
on the annuity, but I will have to pay it on the mutual fund. That has to get weighed out. Now, I will tell you as a general rule, I'm not a fan of using the annuity as an accumulation vehicle. I don't really care for that when it comes to taking risk with your money. If, for example, you wanted a fixed annuity that paid you three and a half, four percent guaranteed for five years, no problems with that at all. But if you wanted to put the money, say, in a mutual fund, there are better ways of going about it, in my opinion. One of them would be actually to pay the tax every year because we're in a low tax environment. And the amount that you pay in tax, since you're only going to pay it on the growth, would actually be less than the fees within the annuity because you pay the fees on the annuity on the entire account. So often paying the tax could be the cheaper way to go, but it depends on the product. I've seen some products that are so low cost internally that no, that's not the case. It may be the case in one year, but after several years, the annuity becomes the cheaper of the two alternatives. What's at play here is really, do we truly need tax deferment given your tax bracket? If you're in a very high bracket, it might be attractive. If you're in a very low bracket, no, may not be attractive at all. You'd actually be better off being in the taxable account. All right, so that's the variable annuity. I've already explained to you the fixed annuity. The fixed annuity is what you see is what you get. We're going to guarantee you X percent a number of years. Unfortunately, though, it's difficult for a lot of companies to guarantee you an interest rate for very long. They just can't because the interest rate environment being what it is. So what they'll do is they'll guarantee you an interest rate for maybe one or two years. But after that, you know, it's whatever happens. Here's the thing. They cannot afford for you to ask for your money too soon. So if they tell you that we'll guarantee the first year, but from years two and on, we have no idea, chances are you're not going to be able to pull your money out after just one year without paying a penalty. Chances are they're going to require that you keep the money with them for a number of years. Now, they usually will let you have 10% of the account. But if you say, oh, look, you're going to pay me 6% in the first year, fine, do that, and I'll pull the money out at the end of the first year, uh-uh. They will attach a surrender charge that will probably eat up any growth that they gave you. So it's very, very important that we understand that. There's no free lunch here. And therein becomes another problem. Because you're going in thinking, oh, well, 3 4% on part of my money, that's good. Well, they might give you that in the first year. But if they don't give you that in years 2, 3, 4, 5, it's really not as good. It's very important that you understand how interest is credited to your annuity. So again, this idea that we're deferring taxation, not a problem. And in the case of the, the fixed annuity, there's no negatives in terms of return. There's no negative returns, I should say. So you can't have a negative year. So that's good. But the real question is, what's the interest rate going to be? And how long are you going to hold my money before I have the freedom to pull the money out? Well, that is going to vary by product. So we need to understand the product. The concept's still good, but the products themselves may or may not be. Now, for many years, those were your choices. You had the fixed annuity where they told you, you know, we're going to give you a multi-year guarantee or we're going to give you a two-year guarantee. And then after that, it could be whatever, but there'll be a minimum. Or there was the variable. 
No guarantees at all. You could have negative rates of return, but you can also have super high positive rates of return and you don't pay taxes till you pull the money out. And then came something known as the indexed annuity. And this is where things got really, really complicated for people because they didn't really understand what it was they were doing or what they were getting. All right. First thing let's talk about is, again, the growth stage of the annuity. How does that work? Well, in the case of the indexed annuity, what they're going to do is they're going to tell you whatever a certain investment index does, or there could be several indices that they're tracking. Let's just say, for example, it's the large U.S. stock market, the Standard Poor's 500. And they say to you, look, whatever the stock market does, we're going to give you 100% of that. However, we'll cap it at eight, meaning that if it does 12%, you're going to get eight. If it does 4%, you're going to get four. See the difference? If it does higher than eight, you're going to get eight. If it does less than eight, you'll get what that is, but you'll never get zero. That's how some of them work. Others will say, no, look, whatever the market does, we'll give you 75% of that. So if the market's up 20, we'll give you 15. If the market's up four, you get three. Now, guess who gets to keep the difference? The insurance company. That's how they're going to make money on it. But once again, they're never going to give you a negative return. These products are not bad. Unfortunately, though, they are often sold with the understanding that you're going to get very, very high rates of return. And that rarely plays out that way because the insurance company is capping how much you can get. And so as a result, people will often put money in index annuities thinking that it's a substitute for owning stocks. And I would strongly recommend you not look at it that way. It is not a substitute for stocks. In fact, if it's a substitute for stocks, it's a bad substitute for stocks. But it can serve a purpose in your portfolio from a fixed income standpoint. So if your choice was, as you're building your portfolio, your choice was, do I put money in government bonds or do I put money in some type of a fixed or fixed indexed annuity? Well, that is something it's worth at least considering because both of them are designed to have low volatility and to give you single digit rates of return. Where I see people make their mistakes on their planning is they assume that the annuity is going to give super high rates of return. And even worse, sometimes the agent who's selling them to you will show you some past history. And of course, what they want you to believe is that in some way that will play out again in the future. But of course, it doesn't work that way. So if we're going to have them in our portfolio, that's fine. But just understand, in most cases, they are not going to be the super high return vehicles that you think they're going to be. Even if it's a variable product, chances are, well, you could have high rates of return. You could have negative rates of return too. But the internal expenses might be high enough to where it's not worth you getting tax deferment. You might actually be better off investing your money outside of the annuity. All right, so that's the accumulation stage. Now comes the time where you want to take the money out. Now, the simplest way to take your money out of an annuity is just, just to call the company up and say, hey, just give me my money. Fine, here's a check. But another option is called annuitization. And there what happens is the insurance company will gladly keep your money, but in return, we'll give you an income stream for life. So you can't outlive your money. But understand something here. The insurance company has a pretty good idea how long you're likely to live. 
Their goal, quite frankly, is to only to give you the same amount of money you gave them. In fact, they'd like to give you less. That'll be very profitable for them. But if you live to be 104, don't worry about it. They're going to send you your money. But understand this. When you ask for income, chances are you're not going to get a super high rate of return on that money that's still in the account. And secondly, chances are you will leave a smaller inheritance to your heirs. In fact, you could leave no inheritance to your heirs. So it's not a bad vehicle for you, provided, of course, it's giving you the amount of money that you truly need. And very often with annuities, what happens is people fail to assess other approaches. And there are many other approaches. Too often, annuities are sold using fear tactics. Look, if the stock market crashes again, you're not going to have anything. Well, markets go up, markets go down. I've never been a big fan of fear. That's why we have this show. This show is not about fear. This show is about giving you logical suggestions for your future. But too often, that's what I see. They'll, they'll put up these hypothetical charts. They'll show what the stock market's done over a certain 10 or 20-year period of time. And they say, if this happens again, you're going to be seriously in trouble. So it's really better to give your money to an insurance company and let them give you an income stream. Now, there are so many hybrid products out there. They can make them sound incredibly attractive. But here's what you need to understand. No matter what product it is, all the companies are basically dealing with the same mortality table in terms of knowing how long you're going to live and the same interest rate environment. So it's almost impossible for one company to give you a dramatically higher return than any other company. In fact, if they're giving you a super high rate of return, I would worry. Because the word guaranteed means as long as the company is solvent and can pay you. Now, certain states do have bailout options for some of your money. But you want to work with a financially stable company. And a financially stable company is going to be prudent, not only with your money, but when they're paying you out money. They really don't want to pay you any more money than you gave them. As a bond alternative, as a fixed income alternative, yeah, I don't see anything wrong with the annuity product. Just understand that every product has its own features and benefits. Be realistic about the return you're going to get. And chances are it's not going to be good for all of your money. It's basically going to serve a purpose for a section of your money. It's part of a diversification strategy. So I don't think these products are evil. Clearly, some are better than others. You know, it's like the concept of an automobile. You know, an automobile concept is great. I get in, I turn the key, I go. But what do we know? We know that there are good cars and there are bad cars. So we don't want to label all cars as bad just because we might have bought one bad one. But very often, that's what I see. I see people attach a label to it. So again, as an advisor, we don't have too many situations with clients where we recommend them, but we're not against it. It just depends on what the client's situation is. And there are alternatives, and you have to weigh them out. Some alternatives, well, look, every alternative, every strategy has pros and cons. Your job is to make sure that you can live with the cons and understand the pros. They don't come every single year. So I hope that helps. I hope in today's um, puzzle of the week, We've helped shed a little bit of light for you on there. Uh, later on the show, when we get to the puzzle solver assignment section, I'm going to give you a little assignment that'll help you a little bit more. There'll also be a download that'll give you a little bit more information about annuities. But now it's time for filling the bucket. 
We're supposed to make a list of all the things we wanted to do in our lives before we kick the bucket. Cutesy. Filling the bucket is all about us living in the moment, not putting off tomorrow what we could do today as it relates to the things that are on our bucket list. So this is the lifestyle section of our show. And today I want to talk a little bit about cooking. That's right, cooking. I am a, I guess you could say a foodie. I mean, I love to eat. Fortunately, I have pretty good genes in terms of weight gain, but I definitely have had my moments and have had to work to get it down, particularly as my blood sugar started to rise. I actually like to cook, but as my wife is quick to point out, I make a total mess. So unless it's at the grill outside, I rarely do it. But I, I've always maintained that that cooking is not nearly as complicated as people make it out to be. You're basically following a recipe. And the better you are at following that procedure, the outcome is going to be the same. If you have any interest in cooking, my encouragement to you is to expand that interest, expand that interest in and in getting into other areas because chances are there's foods out there that you think you know if you like them, but you've never really had them prepared in the proper way. So there's a website I want to share with you. It's called learntocook.com. I mean, pretty clear what this website's all about, right? So in addition to a great deal of recipes, there's videos among procedures and things along those lines. I think great food and great wine, for those of you who like wine like I do, they're really God's gifts. And if you compare the right food with the right wine, it just makes for an incredible experience. And if you're sharing it with friends, it's an incredible, it's just a great way. You know, the old expression of breaking bread. In any event, go to learntocook.com. If, if cooking is an interest of yours, like it is to me, you'll get some great ideas, some uh, great recipes on there. And uh, let me know. Let me know if you found anything on there that you like. And in fact, if you live in Cincinnati and it's really good, call me and I'll be more than happy to taste it. And so now let's go to the question of the week. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Today's question comes from Bob from Mount Lookout. And Bob says, I've had a universal life policy for the last 10 years. Now that I'm retired, I don't think I need it anymore. It has a fair amount of cash value, so I'm thinking about just cashing it in. What do you think? All right, so let's define a few terms here. When Bob says he's got a universal life policy, what he means is he has a permanent policy. It's designed to stay in force for the rest of his life. It has cash value, so he has been plopping in more money into the policy than the insurance company really needs to service the death benefit that he would receive. So he's now at a point in life where he doesn't feel he needs the death benefit. He's possibly retired and figures there's no income anymore to replace. There's no salary to replace. So why should I keep the policy? That's a great question. You should always ask yourself that. Well, if the policy has cash value, then certainly that cash value can be used while you're alive. Now, he's talking about canceling the policy. Okay, you can do that. But just understand, Bob, that if you do it, if the cash value is greater than the premiums you paid in, you will pay tax on the growth. And if you're under 59 and a half, you'll pay a 10% penalty on the growth as well as pay the tax. So let's first be sure we understand what the taxable implications are. You don't have to cancel the policy to access the cash value. Now, you do have to cancel the policy if you want to access all the cash value. 
But most policies have a loan and withdrawal feature that allows you to pull money out systematically over time. Actually, you don't do it over time. You can do it all at once. But, but you're still going to keep enough money in the policy to service the internal cost. Now, what's the advantage of doing that? Well, first of all, loans and withdrawals are not taxable. So if I was to say, let's say I put $100,000 into a policy and it grows to $200,000. Well, if I cancel policy outright, I'm going to owe tax on $100,000. But if I take loans and withdrawals against that, I don't pay tax as long as the policy stays in force. A withdrawal is a return of your original premium. Well, that money had already been taxed. That was after-tax money. And a loan will kick in when I'm actually pulling out the growth. Now, if I do it this way, I'm not going to be able to access all the cash value, but I will be able to avoid taxation. Now, your death benefit is going to go down if you do this approach. But very often, that's a good strategy for people, simply because they don't have to pay tax on the income. So it doesn't affect the taxation of their Social Security benefits. It doesn't push them up to a higher bracket or anything like that. So you want to contemplate that. The other thing I would suggest to consider, Bob, is do you really need that money? And here's why. Whatever your cash value is, your death benefit is probably a lot higher. Not guaranteed, but it probably is if you've only had it for 10 years. If you don't need the money in the policy, there's a good chance, you need to check this out, but there's a chance that maybe you never have to put any more money in the policy and it will stay in force. And when you die, your estate, your heirs, whomever you're going to leave it to, will be able to get the death benefit income tax-free. And if that amount of money is more than what's in the policy and it's income tax-free, well, that's very unique. Now, certainly, Bob, if you need the money to live, if you need it for your expenses, then you want to explore some type of withdrawal strategy. But if not, this might be the one thing you want to hang on to because you know what it allows you to do? It allows you to spend every single dollar of your money and still leave your heirs an inheritance. So check it out. Very often, I do recommend people cancel their life insurance at retirement. But when they have a permanent policy, as you've just described, we want to look at that carefully. Sadly, I have seen situations where people were certain, you know, they said, I'm going to cancel this policy. They do. They die a year later. Well, it didn't wreck their heirs, but it would have been nice to have. If there was an alternative approach, which is really what so much of personal finance comes down to, is understanding what your alternatives are. If there was an alternative approach, it might have been better to hang on to that. And now we come to this week's puzzle solver assignment. So this is where every week I give you a little bit of homework. There's a download on our website, which you can get by going to dancapril.com. If you go to dancapril.com, you'll see all of our podcasts. And you can go there. And uh, if you click on today's show, you scroll down, you're going to see the puzzle solver assignment for the week. Today's assignment is, is for those of you who have annuities, on the website there, you will see a download called Understanding Annuities. And what I want you to do is I want you to download that. And then I want you to look at your policies and figure out what kind of annuity do you have. Is it a variable? Is it fixed? Is it a fixed index? Now, this download has a lot of different annuity options for you. So it'll show you the whole thing. Even if you're not, if, even if you don't own an annuity, I recommend you get this download. All right, so go to dancapril.com. It's D-A-N-C-U-P-R-I-L-L.com. 
go to today's episode. Today's episode is labeled the controversial annuity. Scroll down. Once you click on that, scroll down and download this week's puzzle solver assignment. Okay, so download that and let's figure out what you have. So that's going to wrap up today's show. I want to thank you for listening to Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Again, my name is Dan Caprill. If you ever have questions, you want to reach out to me, very simple. Just go to talktodc.com, talktodc.com. You'll indicate when you want to talk. My office will confirm back to you and we'll schedule a 15-minute phone call, answer any questions you have, see if we can help you. Until next time, have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.